electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, put it in perspective. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Even after today's brutal reversal. Buy, buy, buy. Sell, sell, sell. The largest reversal in about 10 months, where the Dow briefly hit 26,000, then spent the rest of the day going lower. Closing down 10 points while the S&P lost 0.35%. NASDAQ declined 0.51%. With breathtaking declines from the top to the bottom before an anemic bounce. I still like this market. Yes, I do. I like this market. And at the soporific risk of sounding like Dr. Seuss, I like this rally, Sam, I am. I'm about to say some things, though, that many of you might not want to hear. So if I don't keep saying I like this rally, green eggs and ham, you'll say I do not like it, Sam, I am. So with that in mind, let's go over the rules of engagement for dealing with a bull market that's in beast mode. But we now know is subject to periodic fits of over exuberance. Keep that in mind. Rules of engagement number one. No one ever got hurt taking a profit. Now, I tell this, you know, basically a homily to you constantly. It's one of my rules because even if you have gains on paper, those aren't real. Gains do not turn into real winnings until you ring the register. So say you've got a huge position in Amazon. Congratulations, one of my favorite stocks. There's absolutely nothing wrong with taking a profit on some of your shares. The real crime would be giving back your gains in the stock because you overstayed your welcome. We talk about this kind of thing every day as part of the ongoing behind-the-scenes discussions and dialogues with my charitable trust with my team. When we're up big on a large position, discipline says we need to take something off the table. And in this red-hot bull market, there are hundreds of stocks that you own with outsized gains. Would you be foolish not to do some profit-taking? 
I'm not saying you should sell the whole position. I like this market too much. I like my green eggs and ham. I just want you to understand that profits on paper don't count. It's not a real game until you've taken something off the table. Second rule of engagement, you never know when an exogenous event might strike. For example, for what, maybe two months now, I have been talking about how Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross might soon recommend that President Trump invoke Article 232 of the Trade Expansion Act, the right to protect the vital domestic industry for the purpose of national security. China's been dumping low-priced steel in our markets, damaging the U.S. steel industry. And you don't need much of an imagination to see how a healthy steel industry is essential to our national defense. In fact, if the Chinese Communist Party was really diabolical, they'd do everything they could to wipe out our steel industry by flooding the market with cheap imports. That way, if we ever get into a shooting war, heaven forbid, we'll end up with tanks and howitzers made with potentially faulty Chinese steel. Sure, that's pure fiction. China's just trying to create jobs for its own citizens. But speaking of fiction, if you want to freak out about the future, go order a copy of Ghost Fleet, a novel of the next world war, which paints a picture of this exact nightmare scenario. Back on point, though. If the U.S. starts cracking down on Chinese steel, perhaps if the Chinese won't help us with the North Korean situation, that will be a huge positive for the domestic steelmakers. But there's so much collateral damage. It will hurt the stocks of our international companies that do a lot of business in the People's Republic as investors start worrying about Chinese retaliation. Something you need to keep in mind is this retaliation, especially given that today was the first day I actually heard warnings about this from others other than myself. Even as I'm now bored to tears writing and talking about my fears because I've expressed them endlessly, maybe that's just when you start thinking about them. Third rule, bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs? Yeah. Don't you think you're being a tad greedy if you haven't sold anything yet? Look, I know most of you are trying to save for retirement, and I do not want to encourage trading with retirement money. But for your discretionary med money portfolio, you might want to cash some, take some, maybe put some cash on the sidelines here. Maybe so you can circle back, put it in lower prices. It's so odd. When I used to say this kind of thing when I was a broker in the 80s and money manager in the 80s and 90s, people knew exactly what I meant. They knew that bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs get slaughtered into green eggs and ham. However, these days, the conventional wisdom is that the only real money that ever goes into the stock market is retirement money. That's supposed to go into index funds, and it's never supposed to be touched no matter what. You're only supposed to put money in, not take money out. I'm not telling you to mess with your 401k, but if you do own individual stocks in your discretionary portfolio, typically because of some of them you heard on this show, I'm saying take something off the table. We had the bounce. We're back to where we started. Real uh, Rule number four, don't fall in love with your investments. Come on, these are pieces of paper, for heaven's sake. Now, I've tried to explain this to the cryptocurrency enthusiasts, but every time I bring it up, I feel like they want to burn me in effigy. I fear for my life whenever I use the words Bitcoin and sell in the same sentence or even paragraph. Still, the darn thing isn't free fall. 
And the crypto maniacs aren't doing themselves any favors by getting so attached emotionally to it. As for the stock market, whenever I see things like this is so easy or this is so much fun, two sentiments that popped up in my Twitter feed this weekend, the fact is I know you're being way too glib. What's wrong with thinking investing is fun or easy? Simple. Buying stocks was tons of fun in the 1990s until 2000 when the Nasdaq peaked and the bubble burst. Buying stocks involves work. That kind of thinking, frankly, if I can analogize for a moment, is like a trap game in the NFL. For example, do you think the Minnesota Vikings are worried about coming to Philadelphia and playing the now perennial underdog Eagles? I ordered my dog mask. It's not coming till after the game. Nah, judging by their celebrations and the bravado and their high fives, they've already beaten the Eagles and they're ready to crush the Pats. That is, as the Patriots actually get in the game. Stay humble like the Eagles. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Do not fall in love with your own stock picking prowess or the pieces of paper you're funneling through. It's a business, not a game. Oh, and speaking of trap games. I've told you over and over again, let's see what General Electric has to say before buying it up 6% as it was coming in this year, today. After today's news of a hideous loss in long-term health care insurance, something I've been worried about for a while, I think patience is a virtue here, even if the company's going to be broken up. She's an oil company with a decent health care division, a good aerospace business, and a power business that's probably going to suffer untold write-downs and layoffs that will look like the write-offs we experienced from the old Bethlehem Steel. Or the current abominable mess from Toshiba. Hard pass. Finally, number five, please stay diversified. Even after this market's major reversal, the drug stocks and the health insurers had terrific runs. Johnson Johnson, which was downgraded at 140 not that long ago, was up huge today. Merck had some solid evidence that Keytruda had some real success against a particular kind of lung cancer, propelling that stock much higher. McKesson, the drug distributor, roared or nothing. United Health stomped the bears with a fabulous quarter, as predicted here in our game plan. But if you just owned the red hot industrials, today was a not so hot experience. Same goes for the oils, the retailers. What goes up must come down at least a little. I found myself examining charts this weekend, wishing my whole travel trust was in Boeing and Dollar Tree. Well, that would have been wrong. So here's the bottom line. Do not be greedy. Take some profits. Stay diversified since you never know what's going to come from left field and send us lower. Simple rules to live by. Don't screw it up. Let's go to Fred in California, please. Fred! Booyah from Sacramento, Lady Bird, California, Jim. Good to have you on the team. How can I help? Uh, my question addresses Ventas, VTR. Right. I know the sector is lagging, and VTR has been down rather sharply over the last three months, although they did raise the dividend in December. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't see any uh, internal or strategic reason to lose confidence. In fact, I like the moves into university medical centers and away from uh, skilled nursing. Is it wise to double down and have them pay me five plus percent to wait for appreciation? Uh, I think it is, frankly. Now, double down, not right. You know how I like to do it. I like to do things in stages. I will say this, though. I love the management. I think they do a trip. No. I like the management very much. They do a terrific job. But it is a real estate investment trust, and those, along with the utilities, wow, breathtakingly bad. I like this market, Sam. I am. I like this market. Despite today's reversal, it is still a beast mode. It's just pausing. Rules to live by. I like this market. On Mad Money Tonight, the biggest healthcare investing conference of the year has come to an end. But the ideas discussed will continue to play out this year. I'm pointing out my key takeaways. Then Boeing first took flight nearly a century ago and has not looked back. Can it continue to soar? 
I'm eyeing the company after its remarkable run. And what's ahead for Amazon, NVIDIA, Netflix, and Alphabet? These hot tech stocks have made you a fortune over the long term. But can their reign continue? I'm tackling the technicals to find out. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Last week, we had a tsunami of major conferences, like the ICR consumer shindig that we went down to in Orlando. Remember that? The Consumer Electronics Show, so much news out of there. But the most important one, the biggest one, the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference out in San Francisco, is also the hardest to get your head around. We have to step back, do some learning. This meeting tends to make major waves in the healthcare stocks. Problem is, the announcers from these farm and biotech companies, well, they often read like the written hieroglyphics. It can be very difficult to understand this stuff without a medical degree or a Ph.D. in chemistry. But we need to know what happened. We need to put it in English for you. So in order to help you make sense of all the news so you can profit from it, why don't we take a look at the biggest winners and losers from that healthcare conference last week? All right, the biggest winner in terms of the performance of its stock, well, that's a company called Atara Biotherapeutics. This thing was up 52% since the beginning of the year, with the vast bulk of that move coming after the conference. Can you imagine how much money was made through there? Atara is a tiny company that's developing immunotherapy-based treatments, this time for cancer and multiple sclerosis. Now, this company priced a gigantic 7 million share secondary offering on January 4th, before the conference. That sent the stock down 6.5%. But buyers of the secondary came out ahead if they simply waited for the conference. Why? Because Atara announced that the FDA had cleared its investigation of new drug application for a phase one, that's pretty early, study of the MS drug. And this is not just an early stage developer. Atara's got a treatment for Epstein-Barr that's currently in its phase three trials. Put it all together, though, and it feels like the investors are warming to, a, to speculative biotechs again, even with the tape showing signs of raggediness today. But you know what? I always like to keep track of these because who knows? Epstein-Barr, phase three, could be very positive. Second biggest winner, well, here's one you should be familiar with, Alder Biopharmaceuticals. It was up 47% for the year. This is another small-cap developmental stage biotech. It's one that we checked in with last Friday. Alder started roaring after the company announced strong clinical trial results for its lead drug. It's a migraine prevention compound, along with a new preferred equity financing that allowed the company to settle with Teva over, that's Teva Pharma, over a European patent dispute. I like the story that CEO Randall Schatzman told us last week. But remember, Alder's still a very early stage company, and there are plenty of pitfalls remaining before FDA approval, including, by the way, the fact that some competitors are ahead of them in the process, although in a pill form not an intravenous, which is what Alder's got going. Who else is notable among the winners? Well, how about this outfit, Coherus Biosciences? It's up 43% for the year. This one I'm not so excited about. Coherus makes what are known as biosimilars, basically the biotech version of generic drugs. 
They're working on a biosimilar version of Amgen's new Lasta, which stimulates bone marrow growth. Last week, we got a tangible timeline for just when this thing might hit the market. Now, some analysts anticipate it could do $4 billion in sales if it goes to market ahead of other biosimilars. But that's the problem with being in a, what's basically a commodity business. I prefer biotechs with real patent protection. Final notable winner from the J.P. Morgan conference. Oh, one that I've really failed you on, frankly. I've just not emphasized enough. Been looking at a competitor, Thermo uh, Fisher. This is Illumina, I-L-M-A. This is just a a horse. Uh, uh, This Illumina is a DNA sequencing company with a stock that's up more than 10% for the year already. Illumina rolled out a new low-cost sequencing machine that gave their stock a nice boost. We should have gotten on there earlier. I-L-M-N, my bad. All right, how about the losers from the conference? The biggest loser was one that we did flag that you should get out of. That was Axovant Sciences, A-X-O-V-A-N-T. This is a company that's trying to, in emphasis on trying, to develop an Alzheimer's treatment and one that I was dubious about when it came public back in 2015. Lately, the stock has been a punching bag. I mean, it has been just grim. In September, the company announced that the phase three clinical trial for its lead drug had failed to reach its primary endpoint. Stock lost nearly 74% of its value on the news. Then last week, the other shoe dropped. They've been studying the same drug as a treatment for dementia, and it failed to meet its primary endpoint. That's good. Make matters worse, Axivan had to correct the record about its other pipeline drug, a treatment for visual hallucinations. They had released some positive data on the thing, but then the company told us that it had got the data wrong. That's how a stock goes from $5 to $2. And I think this is a powerful reminder of what happens when you buy a stock without doing the homework, especially when you're dealing with an overly promotional management team. For the record, we expressed skepticism about Axivant when it came public at $29. I reiterate my skepticism. Who else got slammed? Tessero. That's a developer of cancer drugs that had seen its stock tumble more than 20% since the beginning of the year. Now, Tessero has a tremendous has a treatment for chemotherapy-induced nausea that I thought was going to be fabulous. It's on the market. And we just learned that they're going to have to change the label for this compound to include new warnings about its side effects. That was quite unexpected. Side effects include anaphylactic shock. Having gone into anaphylactic shock myself once from eating sardines. Go figure. During the show, show, by the way, where my blood pressure dropped so dramatically that I had to go to the hospital after the show. I finished the darn show. I was not going to go to the hospital until the show was finished. This was ill-advised by me, (laughs) but I don't care. Anyway, anaphylactic shock, kind of a suboptimal situation. You don't probably have to think about that before you take it, unless you're doing a show, and then that goes on. Now, we also need to address Clovis Oncology. That's another cancer treatment developer with a stock that got really slammed last week. This one's interesting because there wasn't really anything particularly bad about the presentation. In fact, Clovis had a lot of good things going on for it, especially when it comes to treating ovarian cancer and solid tumors. Yet it can't seem to get any credit from Wall Street. That's intriguing. Finally, something bizarre happened to Insight cancer immunotherapy play that I've historically liked. Stock got hit last week, losing 4.5% on Tuesday, another 3.7% on Thursday. Yet we heard nothing bad from Insight itself. The problem? We learned that cell genes buying one of Insight's rivals, Impact Biomedicines, you never want to face off against a deep-pocketed competitor like that and make matters worse. With cell gene buying Impact, well, they're less than likely to buy Insight 
A lot of people thought that was the chatter, hence the decline. What else should you be aware of from last week's conference? Okay, going to the confab, I was watching Allergan like a hawk. And not just because we own this one for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Even though Allergan stock got slammed last year, I'm trying to be a big believer in this story. You notice trying is the operative word. The company is just too many drugs, both on the market and in development. But it's trying my patience as much as it seems to be needing more patience. We are down huge on this position. I like to point out the wins and the losses. And given that I post our buy points, I am deeply embarrassed by my work on this stock. Notice I said my work because it's my fault. I was too bullish on the company's prospects. It's my job to see through what management says and develop my own worldview. I failed to do so. However, last week I got a sense that maybe Wall Street's finally catching on to my version. Despite the fact that Allergan issued weaker than expected guidance, <laughs> the stock actually rallied as CEO Brent Saunders painted a very compelling longer-term vision of the company's future in his presentation. Suddenly, Allergan seems to be getting traction again. We just need to hear something that gives investors a reason to buy the stock beyond the fact that it's cheap. Something has to come through. Something. Meanwhile, Intuitive Surgical, maker of the Da Vinci Surgical Robot, has caught fire here again. As I told you, the company pre-announced some very strong numbers. I'm a huge fan. Here's the bottom line. We got a lot of good news from the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference last week. But if this confab showed us one thing, it's that you need to be very careful when you speculate in small-cap biotech stocks because the difference between the biggest winners and the biggest losers is enormous. Kevin in Hawaii. Kevin! Aloha, booyah, from Honolulu, Hawaii. Mahalo, my good friend. What's up? I have questions about Omega Healthcare Investors, OHI. I'm aware of the lawsuit against the company by its investors, right. but I also know that they're 9.95% dividend. Is this something I should stay away from or a legitimate investment? Um, I think it, it, you should stay away. I think the stock is too high. Um, I don't want to be there. And just to be sure, even as we do our show, and I talk about anaphylactic shock, I am shocked. There is a CNBC report that sells and talks to buy Juno Therapeutics. And that in itself would get this whole group going once again. All right. I always uh, tell you to listen for critical data out of conferences like the JPM Healthcare one last week. Now you know the winners and losers, and the difference between them is huge. And don't forget, Juno, that's going to figure big into tomorrow's trading. Much more mad money ahead. Boeing's taking flight in this market, but can the move continue? Or could it be a bumpy landing after today's difficult reversal? Then, are some of the hottest stocks in this market due for a pullback? I'm eyeing Amazon, NVIDIA, Netflix, and Alphabet tonight's off the charts. And it's the greatest story never told. And it could impact your wealth, your savings, and your portfolio. I'll reveal it and what impact it could have on your money. So stick with Kramer. I spent a lot of time talking about how rallies feed on themselves. And on a day where the broader market seemed to lose a step, frankly, I think it's worth going over just how this process works. So you can take advantage of it if we catch another big reversal day down like today. Remember, I can't be there intraday. I do my best. But let's consider the case of Boeing, BA. The gigantic airplane maker has been an incredible performer. 
Not only was Boeing the strongest stock in the Dow average last year, it was up 89%. It continues to be the strongest in 2018, too. It's up a quick 13.6% just since the beginning of the new year. Last year, Boeing stock powered higher as the company blew away Wall Street's earnings estimates. Did it quarter after quarter. It's like clockwork. With a rapidly expanding global economy, the demand for commercial aircraft is enormous. Millions of people in developing countries have enough money to use air travel for the first time. Middle classification story. That means airlines from around the world need to come to Boeing for new planes, which is how the wait list for some of these models ends up being 20 years long. There's so much demand for jets that the only real worry here, the only thing that people are afraid of, is whether Boeing will be able to produce enough planes to satisfy its customers. Talk about a high-quality problem. House of pleasure. That's what most of last year's gains in the stock were about. But the really interesting thing about this latest leg of the rally in Boeing is that it's not about earnings. At least not exactly. The recent move has actually come in between quarterly earnings reports, right? We, we get reports from Boeing in two weeks, yet the stock is roaring, in part because of a bull market in all things industrial and aerospace, and in part for another reason. The analysts who cover Boeing are jumping all over themselves to raise their estimates for the company and the price targets for the stock intra-quarter. Why? Remember, we last got actual sales and earnings from Boeing roughly 10 weeks ago. So it's certainly not those numbers, right? They're baked in. No, to put it simply, the analysts keep recommending Boeing because, well, the stock keeps going up. That logic may seem circular to you, but that is kind of the point I'm making here. Every time Boeing stock plows through some analyst price target, that analyst feels compelled, why not, to raise the numbers, if only so they can keep up with the actual share price. And because we now have a market where the analysts are definitely taken far more seriously than they have been in years, meaning stocks rally and rally hard because of upgrades and price target boosts, well, Boeing stock pretty much goes higher every time. That, in turn, causes Boeing to plow through still more price targets, so more analysts need to raise their numbers, and so on. It is a virtuous circle, and I think it gives stocks like Boeing some extra oomph. Doesn't mean it can't go down. After all, the stock drifted lower today. However, it does mean that the stock is a lot more likely to rebound, and rebound hard, which is yet another reason why I think Boeing is worth buying into weakness. But could it really be as simple as just, well, as I made it out to be? Can you really have a stock that goes up because it's uh, been going up? Actually, yes. Just look at what the analysts have been doing here. Ever since Boeing announced a 20% dividend boost and a new $18 billion buyback in mid-December after we had interviewed the company, we've been getting tons of price target increases here. Wells Fargo raised its price target from $270 to $290. Bank of America Merrill raised theirs from $290 to $320. A few days later, Morgan Stanley upped theirs from $285 to $310. All of this was before Congress approved the new tax code, which Boeing will benefit from enormously. Plus, they've got a nice tailwind courtesy of the weaker dollar. Boy, is that good. Something that helps Boeing bolster its sales overseas. Although you do have to buy planes in dollars. Remember that. But it's versus Airbus. That's what matters. As the stock keeps climbing, more analysts have good reason to raise their numbers. This time with the added advantage that tax reform will actually increase the company's earnings. Last week, J.P. Morgan hiked their price target for Boeing from 325 to 360. Credit Suisse up there is from 310 to 375. Today, Citi goes from 305 to 380. And Baird went up, Zem increasing our price target from 380 to 433. 
And look, I, I don't want to make it sound like these guys are just mindlessly chasing a stock because it's roaring here. They're absolutely right to like Boeing and absolutely right to recommend it. When you factor in the impact of tax reform, this company's going to be practically overflowing with cash. But I'm not here to sing Boeing's praises. I am here to explain the dynamics of how this kind of what we call re-rating actually works. Typically, whenever these analysts come out with another positive report, the stock goes higher. It, it was up nicely this morning, too, by the way. But then the market sold off hard in the afternoon, taking Boeing stock down with it before we got a late day rally. And here's the key. Boeing stock has been so strong that it's already blown past the raised price targets from last month. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, they've, they're, they're, all their targets are between 290 and 320. The stock's above 330 right now. Touch the 340s. So what do you do if you're one of those analysts who's suddenly behind the curve? I bet they're eager for any excuse to raise the forecast, and I suspect that's exactly what they'll do after Boeing reports earnings in a couple weeks. You know what? I think some will raise price targets even as early as tomorrow. Because today was the first break this stock has had taken in ages. Of course, it was intraday. How quickly you could move, I don't know. My view, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think the stock of Boeing is going to $400, which after today's reversal from 347 at its high, yes, it opened that high, to 331 at the low before finishing at 335, still seems like a long way off. How about that range in one day, though? And people are going to say that's known as an island reversal, that it opened too high, went lower. That's usually technically a bad sign. But here's the bottom line. Even with the ugly action that I just described, as long as there are stories like Boeing where the analysts are desperate to raise their price targets and push the stock higher, or at least keep up with the Joneses here, I think you got a nice cushion that allows you to pick up these stocks into any weakness, even intraday. The analysts are like a coiled spring, giving you still one more reason to buy the stock of Boeing whenever you're lucky enough. And I mean that, lucky enough to get a dip. You know what? I think they'll be there, they'll be there on weakness. I think they'll be there on strength. Now, there's a positive world for you. How about we go to Steve, my home state in New Jersey. Steve. Hey, Jim. Steve. Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Yes, man. Go uh, Birds. What's up? Yeah. Stock is uh, a flex. You recommended it a while ago. It's kind of been stagnant. I'm wondering if, if you're, you're still you, have no, a still. You know, uh, Mike McNamara is doing a tremendous job. Now, candidly, let me tell you, I run this club, this Action Alerts Plus, and we put this thing in the bullpen. And I never pulled the trigger. And I am so angry at myself because we liked it at 14 because of the huge buyback. You know we've been out of the way. You know what? We're not backing down now. We still like flex. All right. We got what's known as an island reversal today where stocks opened up high and then crashed slower and then went back. Not what I like. But let's remember, the analysts are still eager to push some of their stocks higher. They want you into Boeing and they're willing to support it in the weakness. Much more mad money ahead, including my take on some of the hottest tech stocks in this market. Can they stay in fuego or do you need to protect them yourself? Don't miss my take when I go off the charts. It's pretty eye-opening. Then the stock shortage that no one's talking about, except me, that is. I'll tell you why it matters just ahead. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I'm not being facetious, by the way. I thought this was really no, great. Understood. Great on the part of David yeah. Taylor, great on the part of Tim Gracia. We never mentioned the names of bankers, so I'm not going to. Oh, shoot. Okay, it happens. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. In a raging beast of a bull market like the one we've had recently, 
you always need to be thinking about when it might be time to do a little registering. Big theme of tonight's show, obviously. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's still screaming higher. It's just that today it closed lower. And that's a classic reversal that has historically foretold further losses. Otherwise, it's been a fabulous rally. I just put that out there. Now, I don't want to scare you away from stocks. Just the opposite. Like I said, I like stocks. But if you're going to be a responsible investor, you need to be at least consider whether it's a good idea, maybe be a little cautious. After all, as I said at the top of the show, nobody ever got hurt taking profit. But I want to put this in something that all of us will understand. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Baroden. She is that brilliant technician who runs the FibonacciQueen.com website. She also happens to be one of my colleagues at RealMoney.com, who is a delight to get a better sense of what's happening with Amazon, with Netflix, with NVIDIA. Did you see the pictures of NVIDIA I had on Twitter today? Wow, was he angry. And Alphabet, which is the company formerly known as Google. Now, you might remember at the beginning of December, we checked in with Broden about three high-flying stocks, Apple, Netflix, and Facebook, and she told us they had more room to run. Since then, some of them have started to hit her price targets, which begs the question, how much room do these high-flying tech stocks have left to run, at least in this move? Do you need to start getting more cautious? Maybe take part of your position off the table. Use the profits to get yourself a nice sweater, preferably cashmere. Long story short, Broden's not saying these stocks have peaked. No, not by any means. But she does think it's time to be a little more cautious. And that's, is, that, is there anything wrong with that? I don't think so. So what's happening with Amazon, Netflix, NVIDIA, and Alphabet? Let's take a start. Why don't we start with looking at Amazon? Now, before we get into specifics, I want you to remember how Broden's method works. Her whole approach to the technicals or the charts, chartology, is based on what's known as Fibonacci ratios. It's a series of numbers discovered by Leonardo Fibonacci. He's the godfather of medieval mathematics. And, and they repeat over and over again in both nature and the stock market. And the statistic, the uh, percentage just, you know, are 23.6, 38.2, 50%, 61.8%, and 100%, and so on. What Broden, when Broden looks at a stock, she measures the size of its past swings then runs them through the prism of these Fibonacci ratios, which leaves her with a crucial set of levels where that stock is more likely to change its trajectory. She's trying to predict changes. So what do we have here with Amazon? Here's the thing. Broden notes that many rallies tend to come to an end at extensions of prior swings, meaning they retrace the full move and then go another 23.6% to 38.2%. Once you get to that level, there's a decent chance the rally will pause or even turn into a decline. And that matters because Amazon recently met two key Fibonacci extensions recently which, as far as Broden's concerned, means that this chart is anticipating a pullback. And if it's not just the Fibonacci stuff, she also likes to use the concept of symmetry, the idea that stock moves tend to be similar in size to previous swings. Again, this may sound like financial equivalent of astrology, palm reading. The crazy thing is, it's true. Just look at Amazon's chart. When the stock rallied going into October of 2016, the move lasted for $373.21. Then if you measure Amazon's next upswing, get this, it lasted for $373.21, going to the stock's high last summer. Oh, come on, you can't make this stuff up. Look at that. That's the same. And I can hear you say, oh, come on, it's pure coincidence. But I can't tell you how often this kind of thing pops up when you're looking at the charts. Broden points out this because as uh, today, Amazon's latest rally has taken the stock up to 408 See, $408 right there. So it's a little long in the tooth compared to the past two runs, although in 2015 the stock did run up 412 from peak to trough. 
That means if you buy this concept of symmetry, then it's easy to see how the stock might be due for a pullback. How much of a pullback? Wow, big question. Well, after Amazon peaked in October of 2016, okay, we saw a peak here. We had 137 decline. Peak, boom, all right? And that lasted, uh, that was last summer. We had 151 decline. Okay, so these are the two big declines. Uh, in both cases, the stock quickly resumed its long march higher. That's the first reason Broden thinks it might be a good idea to take some profit here and then circle back 100-odd points lower because she would certainly think that that could be the third one, just like that, okay? Of course, she's not saying these patterns will exactly repeat themselves, but Amazon has gotten extended here, if you don't think so. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to realize that a pullback conceivably could be in the offing. Throw in the fact that Amazon's got a ceiling resistance at 1344, and you got another reason, let's say, to play it safe. Come on, everybody, raise the target, raise the targets, raise the targets. Why not wait a little? Look at this. Could get an opportunity. How about the weekly chart of Netflix? The last time we checked in with Broden, Netflix was $184 stock. She said it was headed to $211. Well, the stock has blown right through that target, traded up to $226 intraday. Just like Amazon, Netflix has reached the Fibonacci price extension level that tends to mark the beginning of a pullback. And, of course, there's a symmetry factor. Most of Netflix's recent runs have lasted for anywhere from 44 to 47 points. Okay. Uh, given that the stock is now up 45 points in its current rally and is facing a tough ceiling of resistance in the mid-220s, Broden thinks this is another one where you might want to book a, a couple of profits ahead of a pullback. Oh, why the heck not? Come on, you can get back in. She sees something similar in the daily chart of Alphabet, formerly Google. Here's another stock that's blown through upside targets and becoming overextended. Capital Trust owns it. I take this very seriously. So there's something else that makes her even ca- more cautious here. Broden's methodology doesn't just apply to price the y-axis of the chart, you can do the same thing with the x-axis. Finding key dates where a stock is likely to change course. With Alphabet, Broden sees the cluster Fibonacci timing circles, cycles that started last week and continue through tomorrow. So if the stock's going to take a break and pull back, there's a very good chance it will happen pretty darn soon. Finally, take a gander at one of my absolute favorites, the daily chart of NVIDIA. We've been right about this one, but she has been right, too. She's been very bullish. And she's been terrific on predicting when NVIDIA is ready to run and when it's due for a breather. Unfortunately, for those who are long NVIDIA, as much as she likes the longer-term uptrend, NVIDIA is also approaching a key Fibonacci extension level, meaning the stock might lose some of its momentum. Plus, NVIDIA's recent $45 rally looks a lot like its, pre- like its previous $48 run, and it had a horrid, horrid reversal today. Now, Broden's not turning negative on these terrific stocks. She's just saying, well, you know what? Well, don't abandon ship, but recognize there could be some choppy waters ahead. Bottom line, it's not even, is it even the best stocks in the hottest of bull markets, a true beast mode? You need to take breathers every now and then when they're snorting. And the charts as interpreted by Carolyn Broden suggests that you might want to get more cautious short term with Amazon, with Alphabet, with Netflix, and with NVIDIA, because all four seem ready for temporary pullbacks. What can I say? You're up huge if you own these. Would it really hurt you that badly if you took something off the table? Their money's back in. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Question round. So Brad Parker's one of the safest. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Question round. Start with Denise in California. Denise. Hey, Jim, nobody does it better than you. Oh, I love you, your Denise. energy and your enthusiasm. Thank you. 
And my question is about GoPro. In the light of all the developments at GoPro, do you still think the company will be bought out? And at what no, price? No, I don't think it'll be or... bought. It's a billion-dollar company that seems to have not a lot going for it. If it's going to be bought out, it's probably going to be less than a billion. Let's go to David in Michigan. David! Yes, Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah, David, David from Bay City, Michigan. Perfect. Uh, my stock is HP, Helmerich and Payne. Oh, I like Helmerich and Payne. Everyone laughs when they up the dividend, except for them. They are well run. Jerome in New York. Jerome! Yes, Kramer. Looking at the two companies that run funeral homes and cemeteries SCI and CVS. SCI, the service is the one that everyone knows and I think is a good company. The other one, Carriage, is not that well known. I'd say stick with service. Marcos in Florida. Marco. Booyah, Kramer. How are you? Microelectronics. I like that stock very much. Now, let's remember, let's remember that group has gotten hot again and we're starting to circle back. We want to be careful because if the, uh, we have ASML, the reports later this week could impact that stock. How about Damien in Georgia? Damien. Booyah, Kramer. Whoa, yes. I'm <laughs> uh, calling about Watt, uh, Energist Corp. No, they man, this thing FTC is way approval. too speculative for me. Maybe something works out, but I'll just hurt people if I say good. And it goes up, great. But I, I could hurt people. I'm not going to hurt people. Let's go to Jeff in California. Jeff. Booyah, booyah, booyah to ya. All right. Hey, Jim, we love you in Los Angeles. We really do. You're great. I love L.A. What's up? Oh, my God. We got beautiful weather now, 75, 78 degrees. You can come out here and check us out here at the beach. I was in San Diego. I should have gone to L.A. What's going on? Hey, uh, I've really been watching this Universal Display Corp. OLED. It looks good, but I need to get your thoughts on that, Jim. All right, this is one. We're having pullbacks in these high multiple, high growth stocks. So now you have to wait for the pullback in OLED. It's had a big move. We can wait for a pullback. We do not need to just plunge in. There's nothing today that is moving it. Let's go to Mike in Illinois. Mike. Babuya from Chicago, home of the soon-to-be 2018 World Champion Chicago Cubs. Okay. Uh, and by the way, you lost to the uh, Vikings by only three points. I guess that's another game like uh, the Eagles. What's up? Give me a stock. Uh, I'm interested in the Carlisle Group. Will the private equity stocks do as good as the banks? Yes, and other I think Carlisle's good. I actually like Blackstone more. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Everyone's freaking out. Because we just had the worst intraday reversal in nearly a year. But I want to remind you that this market still has something big going for it, beyond the incredibly strong fundamentals. I'm talking about the ongoing stock shortage. The shortage is so real, so palpable, that I think it could become a major theme as earnings season progresses. The reason? We're going to hear about some incredibly aggressive buybacks during the fourth quarter. And that's before we even had tax reform, which is just going to produce further buybacks. Those buybacks, coupled with index fund buying and ETF purchasing, combined to create a pretty positive backdrop where there simply isn't enough stock to go around for all the buyers. That's why a stock market goes higher. These days, we hardly take notice, for example, when we hear that J.P. Morgan repurchased more than 300 million shares over the past three years. I mean, we hardly, you know, barely blink, right? That's 8% of the previous share cramp. 
So, certainly enough to move the needle. Same goes for Wells Fargo. You think they'd be hobbled by various investigations so they take a breather from the buybacks? No, not at all. They also retired more than 200 million shares over the same period. That's an enormous amount of stock to vanish from our midst in a gigantic bank. Citigroup is a, a decent quarter today. Bought back a huge amount, too. It's got, you know, it's retired nearly 400 million shares in the last three years. Took a share count from $3 billion to $2.6 billion. It's got probably a target roughly about 2 billion shares left in the not-too-distant future. Don't forget that a certain amount of investor money is going to be allocated to the financials simply as a matter of sector weightings as part of an S&P 500 portfolio. So there's a relatively fixed level of demand, but the buybacks mean the supply keeps shrinking. Let's think about this. There are only 250 days, give or take, you know, to repurchase stock, right? I mean, market isn't open on Saturdays, Sundays, and holidays. When you're buying back that larger percentage of your company every single day, every year, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, about 2%, City up to 7%, you know that the idea of a put underneath is very realistic. What's really incredible, though, is the fact that these banks are all under severe restrictions when it comes to how much stock they can repurchase. What happens when, when they're unbound? I expect these Prometheuses will boost their buybacks dramatically. Even some of the older tech companies are getting in on the action. Apple and Microsoft have crunched about 700 million and 500 million shares, respectively, in the last three years alone. Apple's at 176, Microsoft at 88, a lot of stock taken out of circulation. Now, of course, it would be a different story if the investment bankers were pumping out new supply like they normally would in a bull market. But we're hardly getting anything sizable in the IPO market. So the supply is even more limited than you might think. And this is before we get all the big tax reform-induced buybacks. Are buybacks really a great use of American capital? Tax dollars better? Not my department. You can argue that the merits tax reform all day. But to put it in agricultural terms, I mean, come on, the horse has left the barn. Now that lower corporate tax, tax rates are the law of the land, companies have an obligation to their shareholders to put their newfound money to work wisely. If they think buybacks are the best way to go, that's their prerogative. It's called capitalism. And when everybody's buying back stock by the arm load, the results tend to be very positive for shareholders. It's a seemingly never-ending saga of shrinking supply. And I see it accelerating now that the corporate tax cuts have gone into effect. The only way to offset the stock shortage? Well, we need to see some gigantic IPOs for companies like Airbnb or Uber or Spotify or something like that trillion-dollar Saudi Aramco deal that will definitely sop up some cash. Still, even when we get a wave of new deals here in America, it will be a drop in the bucket compared to the pace of these buybacks. The stock shortage, it's the greatest story never told. Stick with Kramer. Please stay diversified. Look, healthcare started to catch on fire. Diversify portfolio wins. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. I will see you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 